Blog Talk Radio. Especially coming off a disaster of a, a, a showing up in Ames, Iowa. Um, joining me as always from Fort Worth, it's Matt. How's it going tonight, Matt? Well, are we having technical issues? It sure appears to be so. Well, I apologize to our listeners. It looks like we are having a few technical difficulties. I'm not sure what's going on here. There you go. This is the the great thing of, of live broadcast. We haven't had technical difficulties in a while, but it does appear we do are having them for some reason. All righty. I think we've got the issues resolved now. If you're listening to the show, tweet to me and let me know if you can hear us. Welcome again to another Wednesday edition of the Orange Report. We're glad y'all are here. Um, I guess I, um, the first thing we're going to talk about, obviously, is the the Ames, Iowa disaster, uh, man, there's just not much positive I can see um, uh, from that game. But we'll break that down in just a minute. And then I'm really excited about our guest tonight. Um, at about 8.20 tonight, we've got um, Kevin Flaherty. Um, he does write for the, the Shiver.com, a Kansas site. Um, he does contribute there. But he's also one of their national writers now. So he's writing for the full 247 network, and um, we're going to obviously get his take, even though Kansas is winless. Uh, the, the, you know, there are some signs that David Beatty's doing, you know, is making some strides there. And then, obviously, since we've got Kevin on, he used to cover Texas football and Texas basketball, and obviously, um, he, he knows this basketball very well. So, we're going to talk a little Kansas basketball and get his take on the on the Big 12, and and and, and obviously some Texas basketball and shock of smart because. Um, Basketball season is upon us. Um, I see Matt is back on the line. Hopefully he can hear us now and we can hear him. How's it going tonight, Matt? Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yes, you're just as gold. I don't know what was going on earlier. I couldn't hear anything. Yeah, it was weird. I heard everything right up until literally right when you turned it over to me and then I said something and then it went mute for about 15 seconds. So I just decided to try again. Yeah, it's one of the great um, crazinesses of, um, of technology. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're fortunate tonight, listeners. Uh, I, I um, saw the, the game on TV like most other people, but um, Matt, I guess, was fortunate slash unfortunate to, to um, experience the disaster um, very up close in Ames, Iowa. So 
I'm going to defer to him and I guess give us your uh, best recap you can from what you remember, what you saw, and and, and then I'll tell you what I, what, what I think and, and and we'll go from there. So Matt, it, the the floor is yours. Sure. Well, I'll start with the good. The one good thing was uh, we got tickets to the game for nine dollars each with fees <laughs> through Subbub. <laughs> So uh, the I can I can say if anybody ever makes the trip to Ames, you can StubHub electronic ticket. They can scan your phone at the gate. Didn't need a printer. Didn't need anything. So we got in for nine bucks. Sat right in the Texas section, uh, and we felt pretty good about that. Uh, well, let me let know, me let me, inter- uh-huh. let me interrupt you real quick. After after about ten minutes into the game, did you realize you may have paid too much? But go ahead. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We thought. Uh, that, those nine dollars could have bought us probably two or maybe three beers each uh, in a bar, which would have helped uh, during the game. So yes, uh, we definitely overpaid. I think you probably would have to pay me about five hundred dollars to go watch that game again if we had a time machine. Uh, you know, before the game, just thinking about going into the game, I really thought, you know, it was a dangerous game just because Iowa State. I mean, Paul Rhodes is coaching for his job. Uh, you know, they, their backs are against the wall, and, and they had they had made the changes that we had made, you know, after the Notre Dame fiasco with a new quarterback, new offensive coordinator. So you knew we were going to get a, a fight, at least early. Um, the thing that I really expected that I'm just shocked to not have seen during that game is that uh, we've put enough, ta- uh, enough plays on tape now where everybody knows what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to try to run the ball. And Iowa State just was inviting us to put the ball up in the air. I remember, in fact, one of the one of the people I follow on Twitter, I think, had a video clip or a, a still shot of one of the plays where Iowa State's got ten in the ten in the box. We're we're in kind of a bunch formation, and then we got I think John Burt out wide, and he's way out wide, and it's single coverage, man. It's it's run past that guy if you can and throw it up, and I mean even if you throw an incompletion. Uh, you know, you're at least sending a message that we're not afraid to throw, and we ran into the right into the teeth of the defense, and you know, rinse and repeat through a lot of that game, which just did not make any sense to me at all. Uh, you know, I know some people on Twitter were asking about the wind. It was very windy before the game, where we were sitting. Didn't feel like it was too bad. The flags were humming pretty good on the uh, on the top of the stadium, but I mean, that would be the only excuse you could use to not test that secondary uh when they're daring you to throw the ball um that that to me is just what i keep going back to i thought the defense you know did did okay uh you know they gave up some plays but that'll happen and i i think the other uh you know thing that really bothers me about this team this year and then uh, particularly in this game i think i said last week you know we'd probably see some adversity and how would we bounce back and, you know, it's becoming a dangerous trend where when we fall behind in a game, it's over. <laughs> I, think we're, I think Charlie Strong's still winless when the other team scores first. So we definitely yeah. didn't answer the bell uh, and, and mix anything up once, uh, you know, once we fell behind. I was really just confused about uh, the bringing – I mean, I, I like the idea of bringing swoops in for a little bit to mix things up to try to maybe, you know, breathe some life into the offense. Uh, but he saw extended play during the second half, which I, I thought was really confusing. I mean, I don't know if the if the if the call was for throws and and Hurd was checking down to runs or what the hell was going on. But 
it's one of those things that's just so curious from the stands. You got to wonder if something else was happening uh, because we just never, never even tried to take advantage of what Iowa State was giving us. Yeah, and you know, I, I'm not. I, I wasn't mad that we that we you know tried to run the ball so much, even though you know Iowa State had the worst defense, uh, you know, passing defense there is. And I think if we could have established the run. We, we, we would have been able to hit some things in the passing game. The thing that was discouraging to me is that we went away from the formations and the things that we do well within the running game. We didn't run the two-back set. We didn't run a lot of the jet sweep. We didn't, we didn't you know, have the lead blocker up there a lot of times. We, we, we just went with, with things that had not worked in other games. And so it's just, you know, maybe we saw something on film and, and, and that we thought we could do. Um, but you know, obviously, when you you know you only cross the fifty yard line two times, and I mean this is no disrespect to Iowa State, but I mean, you know, the, the argument has been, uh, you know, through through last year and this year that we need to rebuild the roster. We're not as talented. Well, this was clearly not the case because there's no way you're going to convince me or anybody else that's reasonable that Iowa State, even with us playing the number of youngsters and redshirt freshmen and freshmen, um, that they were more talented than us. You just are not going to convince me of that. We were out-coached. We were out-prepared. And and the the Iowa State players wanted to win more than our players. Uh, That's the bottom line. And, Mike, one one thing, you know, Texas fans this year especially need to get over is, you know, I kept hearing that. Iowa State's got the worst defense, and their defense is terrible. Well, you know, Iowa State has played Baylor and TCU, who were destroying sure. pretty much any defense that plays. Uh, let's open our eyes. We have by far the worst offense in the Big 12. We haven't played a defense oh. worth a damn except for Notre Dame, and we still have the worst offense in, in possibly in the country. So I didn't understand yep. the logic that, well, Iowa State's got a bad defense, so we're going to run all over them and kill them because – uh, other than some short flashes, I mean, our offense is going nowhere. I mean, and I agree with you, it's definitely not a slight to Iowa State to criticize the offense. Um, they did play a good game, but in college football in the year 2015, uh, it doesn't matter who you play and how good their defense is, you need to be crossing the 50 more than two times a game. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's like we're playing in a different decade than everybody else. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, you just, cannot get shut out. I mean, the way that the game is geared towards offensive philosophy, the defensive backs hardly can't touch the receivers. I mean, for for a Division One football team to, to get shut out in 2015, uh, I mean, it, it's got to be, I mean, just beyond bad. And, 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 that's, and that's my concern. And, I, and I've said this before is I'm glad this show is on Wednesday because if it was on Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday, it, it would probably be, even the Internet would probably ban it because it gives me a few days to go back and rewatch it and dissect it. But, I mean, I just have to be real. Um, uh, you know, as you've said, improvement is obviously not a straight line. Uh, but, I mean, you know, as much goodwill that was built up in the OU game uh, I mean that that's that's gone with me because again I, I'm not I'm not this is this is not about Iowa State I'm giving them credit I mean they dominated us they beat us but you know what with all of with all that you could say 
about Mac Brown and his deficiencies and what he did. Yes, he got blown out against um, um, OU more than he should have. Yes, he did lose to Iowa State in 2010. But Mac Brown from 98 to 2008, 2009, when the University of Texas lined up uh, and played teams we were supposed to beat, he dominated the Baylors. He dominated the Iowa States. He dominated the, when he was when when when, when the Rices when when we were supposed to win games. Mac Brown won those games, and Charlie Strong is not winning those games. He's not winning many games at all. And and, and a lot of our listeners who are younger, who may because of their age, uh, have maybe only you know been Texas fans or whatever, you know, and the only coach they've ever known is Mac Brown, and then obviously Charlie Strong. You know, being the age that I'm at now, I, I remember the McAvick and, and the McWilliams era, and um, I'm afraid, you know, people have been saying that we're, we're afraid we're heading into that era. We are smack dab in the middle of it yeah. now. I mean, it, there, there are so many similarities. I mean, we beat, we beat OU back there a couple times, and then we lose to teams we shouldn't, shouldn't lose to. We get a little momentum, we take a couple, and we just can't go over the hill. And that is my biggest concern. And, I, and I mean, I, I'm going to be quite honest. I'm, I'm at 50-50 right now if Charlie Strong is the right guy to turn this around. I mean, we're hearing reports this week that there's going to be a complete reset with the offensive staff, uh, and they're going to go out and try to get a big-name offensive coordinator. They've recognized the problem. Even Mike Perrine said the offense is troubling. Um my my problem is he fired two assistants um, last year on you know on offense, Les Coning and then the the, the the long time you know tight end coach. Now we're resetting again. I'm not confident he's going to get the right hires. And this is what I told. And actually, I'll I just say this is what I was telling um, me and me and Dr. Heller were talking the other night. This is my biggest concern with Strong going forward. And then I want your take on it. I I think Strong is a good football coach. I think he knows X's and O's, but I think he has not advanced to where college football is today. Now, the key is, will he adapt? I think Gary Patterson was made from that same mode, and Gary Patterson was able to make the switch. Now, is it painful for Gary Patterson? You can see on the sideline these shootouts, don't, don't, these old school coaches, they don't, they don't like it. They, they don't like it. They want to, they want to, and so, well, let me let me make this quick because I don't want to you know go on because I want your take. But Charlie Strong is still convinced that he can win football games twenty four seventeen twenty four ten against good football teams. And, and yes, that would be nice to be able to do that. But but I think there's three things that are going to keep people from doing that. One is number one, the rules. The rules are made for offense, and then there's no there's no way around that. That's what sells. That's what people like, and the refs are going to make sure that they're scoring. So that that's number one. Number two, just in the last ten years, athletes are better. Um, guys are bigger, faster. They know where they're going. The defense has got to react to them. Um, so athletes are better. And number two, quarterback play is at an all-time high. You know, years ten years ago, uh, a quarterback wasn't throwing all you know eleven. 12 months out of the year. They may be playing basketball, baseball, handing the ball off 80% of the time. And these guys are at camps. They, the, the, the athlete, the, the, the position of quarterback has improved a thousandfold. Uh, and so if your offenses are just going to score. So what I'm saying is I'm not convinced at this point, even if Charlie Strong gets the reset and goes out and hires the best 
offensive coordinator that he can get and some other offensive coaches that he will allow them to do what they really want to do, I think he's on that headset meddling more than we realize because it just goes against what he wants to do. Now, with that said, if he does it in 2016, we're, we're going to be having a, we're going to be having a conversation in November of 2016 who our next coach is because the writing will be on the wall. Uh, but he's, I'm just not convinced he's able, he is going to be willing to, to make that change. Um, it's all going to look good. Everybody's going to feel good. We're going to go out and get some big-name offensive corner, and everybody's going to be hyped up. But I am just not convinced when we kick the ball off uh, against Notre Dame in 2016 um, that, the off, that, that he's going to allow somebody to, to do what, what needs to do on the offensive side of the ball. He wants eight-minute drives, control the clock, control, kick field goals, let the defense win games and win 17-10, 24-10, and that's just not going to happen today. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, it, I, it, I, I, I'm willing to listen to pretty much any theory because just going back to picturing that game, it just does not make any sense, like at all. Why? I, I understand that even if you, even if that is your approach. Uh, I mean, I don't think the guy is so stone age that he wants to run, you know, the single wing and and just you know, go back to no. go back football. But even if you are, even if you did go into AIM saying we want to control the clock, take the crowd out of the game, you have to throw the ball when they are daring you to throw. They are saying, I mean, Iowa State, maybe not a great team. I think it's the height of arrogance that you think you can run against any Division One or possibly even solid FCS defense when they've got everybody in the box, and they're leaving one guy out there in single coverage and saying, hey, we, I, I know you're not going to throw it. You have to throw it in that circumstance. Now, if you do throw it and open it up, now that debate can kick in, right? Because now you can say, well, now they've softened up a little bit. We we drew a couple pass interferences. They're, they're a little spooked now. Uh, they, their safeties aren't creeping up. Their linebackers are worried about coverage. So now you get to decide, right? Am I going to run or throw? Now at that point, maybe maybe – you know, that's a debate between the guys that want to score 50 and the guys that want to score 20. But I, I just don't understand, uh, again, I mean, that's, I guess, one theory. Um, but that just that would confuse me even more if the, if the idea was, well, we're just going uh, to run and control the ball no matter what they do. I mean, that now, if Texas were to have been successful – uh, doing that, then you can say, well, damn, look, don't look now, but we got one of the most powerful rushing offenses in the country because this team put 10, 10 up there, 9 up there, and uh, they couldn't, they still couldn't stop it. I'm okay even with trying it for a little while, uh, and then after the first two, three and outs, because you're almost literally running into a concrete wall over and over again, uh, you take a step back and you say, well, that's not working. We're not quite that dominant. Now we got to find something else. And it just felt like we never – had a second hand to play, uh, and and that's what really concerns me most of all. I think uh, really, you know, when you pick, look at the big picture of things, I, I'm, you know, despite the fun we had with beating OU and K-State, I mean, we're going to pay for the Sean Watson retention all season long because, you yeah. know, even though you brought in uh, Norval, Norvell to, to call plays and all of that, I mean that was a band-aid on a on a gunshot wound and it worked for a little bit and now we're back to a team that has got a new scheme midway through the season or new, you know, uh strategy 
And we didn't get a chance to have that hotshot offensive coordinator early in the year who could establish his, you know, scheme and his uh, personality and the play calling. And so we're mis- just making do. So now when, you, you know, I, I'm right there with you, I can totally see the uh, the splash hire being made next year at offensive coordinator, but you're now in 2016 doing what you should have done in 2015. And so you're a year behind schedule. Uh, now, it could still pay off. You could still see some improvement next year, but uh, even improvement seen next year will we'll just make us scratch our heads and say, why the hell didn't we do that in uh, spring of 2015? Well, yeah, and our, our guest is on the line. I'm going to get him in in just a couple, just real quick, but we're going to pick this up, and, uh, you know, I'm going to add further fuel to the fire because we're going to go back to Strong's Louisville days when he actually had a quarterback who – who, who was drafted 32nd in the NFL draft, and it's looking pretty good in the NFL. And you go back and look at those scores. So he had a guy that could sling it all over the field. And, and I remember us talking when, when Louisville was, you know, 10 or 11-0, and we were talking on the podcast even back then about playoffs, and, 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 we, were, and we were saying, you know, that their offense is just not going to allow. So, so what I'm saying is the warning signs were there. We just weren't – we weren't ready to receive them. So – uh, mm-hmm. We're going to definitely pick this up, and we may even uh, we may even get into this with Kevin. So, without further ado, joining the Orange Report um, is Kevin Flaherty, national writer for the 247 Network. He's been on the show many times. One of our favorite guests. Uh, welcome back, Kevin. How's it going tonight? Uh, doing great, Mike. How are you doing? Well, uh, other than I'm still living after that debacle, that's a good sign. I don't have liver <laughs> disease yet, but uh, other. Other than those two outcomes, I'm actually doing pretty good. And, you know, I was telling a friend, another friend of mine today, he was asking me, he goes, man, I'm going to listen to the podcast. Are you going to blow the Internet up? And I said, well, luckily I've had about three or four days to to, to regroup. And, and you know what, what I have found, and it, it, and I, you know, because obviously you cover teams and everything, is the hardest – I have discovered something. The hardest part of doing this podcast sometimes is to take a take a step back and, and look at it from, you know, uh, I guess an analyst point of view sometimes and not a fan standpoint. So that's what I always tell everybody when you start listening. I Because I get a lot of fan bases listening to it, and they tweet at me, you're such a homer on your on your podcast. Well, yeah, I'm a, I, I made it very clear. I'm a homer. I'm a UT fan, a UT grad. I love UT. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk UT. But so that, that's the hardest thing. So I'm going to start with our with you, Kevin, our conversation that we were having before you came on because you obviously used to, to cover Texas is I'm, I'm 50-50 now as strong as the right guy for a whole host of reasons. But probably my biggest concern is, is I mean, we look at offenses around the country today. We see the rules are, are, are bent towards the offenses. Uh, you know, obviously there's no doubt that Strong's probably going to get a reset this year. He's going to go out and hire some new offensive coaches. But I'm still not convinced he's going to allow them to do what he needs to do. He's still convinced that you can line up and play defense, have nine-minute drives, and win games, you know, 17-13. And I just don't think it's possible today. Am I wrong, right, or is it somewhere there in the middle? Well, I, I think it's it's certainly incredibly difficult to do it. And I think that if anybody has tried to do it, you know, you have maybe a model for it in what Kansas State has tried to do under Bill Snyder. And it's basically, you know, almost the equivalent of what you see with with sort of Wisconsin basketball in terms of, using up the entire shot clock, you know, trying to drag things out so that the other teams have fewer possessions. 
And, and for Kansas State, you know, it's worked for them at times. At other times, it, it hasn't worked for them. Certainly this year, they aren't as strong as they have been. And it's tough to do that consistently, not just because it, it's difficult in theory, but it's also difficult, I think, from a recruiting standpoint. You know, the main uh-huh. thing that recruits want to hear is that you're attacking. And even if you're a defensive recruit, you want to hear that you're a team that, that's going to attack it and do certain things. And and the offense is something that you look at, even if you are a star defensive end or defensive tackle or linebacker, that's something that you notice. And so I do think that it's very difficult to to sort of sell, go out and sell that approach to recruits as well. Yeah, I think that's a that's a you know a, a good point, and you know you know recruiting last year has has you know has you know he he did pretty good. Obviously, the the, the most productive guys on the defense, and even on our you know two true freshmen on on the offensive line starting. Um, I mean, I, I've said it numerous times. I like Strong. I like what he stands for. He's definitely brought some some toughness back um, to the program. Um, he knows what talent looks like. Um, you know, I. But it's just it's just not working on a consistent basis, and I know the and I I get and understand that the roster is is a disaster. But I just you know he lost part of my soul. You just can't get shut out in 2015. And I said this in the opening. I, I don't want to disrespect Iowa State, but uh, Jesus Christ, you just can't get shut out against Iowa State. No, and I and I think you know even even taking that a step further. You know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, obviously I have a lot of Texas followers and talk to a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of Texas fans and I hear a lot from people that you know, so many of Texas's results at this point are Mac Brown's fault. You know, they're the roster's not good enough. He didn't leave enough of a talented senior class, junior class, upperclassmen, however you want to put it. And and while a lot of those concerns are are certainly valid, at the same time, I don't think there's any doubt that Texas has enough talent on the roster to not be down 202 yards to two to TCU, to not get shut out by Iowa State. There's enough talent on the Texas roster to not do those things. And so when you go out and you put up a goose egg against an Iowa State, that's not talent anymore. I mean, that that really isn't. When you look at Texas's offense and the players that they put out there, and the players that Iowa State puts out there on defense, Texas's offense is more talented than Iowa State's defense. And so at that point, it becomes something else. And like you said, it, it is going to be so fascinating to me to watch this offseason for Texas just because even if Texas were to somehow miraculously recover, put up 40 points a game for every game the rest of the season, I think you'd still have to go out and go offensive coordinator shopping just because – you really have to put that message out there, if nothing else, that, hey, this is it. We're swinging for the fences. This this is our go time. And I think that it'll be very interesting to see the offensive coordinators who will be in a position to possibly take a job like that just because, you know, Charlie Strong's job status, if, if this year doesn't end well, could obviously preclude some of the top coordinators from looking that, at that as a long-term job. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a 100% given at this point that that uh, that there's going to be a reset on, on offense. I mean, you, I mean, your network, 247, the scouts, the Orange Bloods, just about every 
every site that, you know, that, you know, covers Texas is, is all, you know, they may not agree on a lot of things, but there's pretty good consensus that, you know, that, you know, that, that if Strong is going to be back, I mean, he's pretty much going to be forced to go out and, and make these changes. Now, and, and apparently he's open to them. I guess if he, if he drew a hard line and said, no, I'm not going to be forced to do anything, uh, well, then, you know, this conversation may be off the road and get real ugly in the next in the next three or four weeks. I can't imagine it would do that, but who knows. Well, let's talk Kansas for a minute. Um, I, I hate to say this, but I, I think the season has played out. You know, we talked earlier in the preseason that the couple early potential wins were where there were going to be wins. Um, you know, it, it looks unfortunate for, for Beatty that the, the offer may be coming. Uh, but, I mean, seriously, we know what y'all – I mean, talk about rosters left in a in a bad place. Um, but, you know, I did go on, you know, the 247 camp, the shiver board, you know, ever so often. And, you know, it looks like there is – you know, he – you know, Beatty's known to be a recruiter. He's – you know, Kansas is in the top two for a pretty good quarterback, um, in the top two or three for a couple other four-star guys. So, uh, if he could get some, some JUCO guys in this year and, and, and assign a couple of these kids you are in the final running for – now, does that mean next year is going to be great? No, but I know Kansas knows where they are. He's going to get some time. He can't be feeling any heat at all, can he? No, not at all. And, and that was one of the reasons I think that he went out and, and signed for for such a low amount. I mean, people don't realize this. David Beatty's making $800,000 a year to coach at Kansas. And, well, you know, this know is that. at the same school. Yeah, this, this is the same school that Charlie Weiss just last year was earning two, two and a half to coach at. And so that wow. was a big part of it too. You know, when when you're making two million or two and a half million at a school like Kansas, then you're much more subject to expectations and to having people look at your program in year three and say, Okay, you're not where we hoped you'd be. But when you drop things down so that you can get better assistance <laughs> and also so that so that you can have more time and say, you know, I'm not dragging that much on the athletic department with what I'm making I think he's going to get a full five years or so to to try and prove that he uh-huh. can build this program up. And it, it's fascinating to watch this year just because, you know, the roster is so light on players. I mean, I think they have 61 scholarship players on roster. And, uh, wow. and even beyond that, Kansas leads the country this year in the number of players who have played in games for the very first times in their careers this season. And, that number is, I think, 38 or 39 players that have played their, for the very first times in their careers this season. And so that's not really the recipe for success, immediately at least. But when you start looking into year two of the build, year three of the build, you know, where these guys kind of got thrown into the fire this season, I think that you'll start to see some of that start to pay off down the road. Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Jump in. Oh, Matt, Matt was having some. I was on some was on mute. Sorry about that. I started talking. Oh, okay. and, uh, yeah, I guess you know my question would just be, uh, you know, I, looking on on from where I am from the Texas side, you know, when you get the uh, when you get the record down to three and five, and and the bowl game is almost, you know, take a miracle basically at this point. Uh, you start just trying to watch the game, I guess, a little bit differently and just look for specific areas uh, of development. So, you know, from the Kansas side, you know, what are you guys looking to see? Uh, like, like you just mentioned, you know, you got a thin roster 
uh, you got, you know, obviously recruiting is going to be huge once the uh, off season begins to start to fill in some gaps. But where are some places you guys are looking to say, okay, here's some maybe initial building blocks that we might be able to uh, to start in for 2016? Yeah, and that that's a great question. And it's kind of funny, you know, in the first game, I thought that Kansas really did a nice job of running a lot of read concepts with Keon Kinner at running back and Montel Cozart at quarterback. And they had, you know, Jordan Shelley Smith and Larry, Larry Muzik at the offensive tackles, who I thought were playing pretty well. And fast forward to last week, and, you know, none of those guys started. Uh, because of injuries and various other things, Keon Kinner's really been nicked up, and that's that's really hurt them because I do think that Kinner is is a legitimate thousand yard back type guy in the Big Twelve when he's healthy. And, and so you look at it last week against against Oklahoma, Kansas started six freshmen on offense, including three on the offensive line. Now that's that's obviously not exactly what you're looking for when you go into a matchup like that you never want your left tackle to be a guy that didn't even play left tackle in high school and here he is is a true freshman starting at left tackle against guys like charles tapper at ou and and they had a walk-on start a freshman walk-on starting at right tackle and then jacob bragg who's actually a pretty well-regarded recruit was starting as a redshirt freshman at, at guard and so i think you just you kind of try to look at each individual piece and especially the young pieces. I mean, Kansas has a wide receiver named Trey Parmley this year, who's having the best season of his career and he's a senior. And so that's largely going to go unnoticed. And it's unfortunate for Parmley because he is playing the best football of his career. But when you look at the receiving core as a whole, what you see is the fact that of KU's, you know, nine guys that they list on the three deep, six of those guys are freshmen and sophomores. And so you try to see growth out of those guys. You try to see growth out of Ryan Willis, the true freshman quarterback who's starting for, for Kansas right now. You try to see growth out of Dorrance Armstrong, who is probably the top recruit out of last year's class, plays a defensive end and has three and a half sacks for Kansas. And so it's really more than looking at a final score or, Hey, did you put up 400 yards today or get this many first downs? It's really just looking for, can these guys flash? Do they show the ability to play at a Big 12 level, at least briefly, because then you can start to project them on in the year two, year three, once they get full weight cycles under them, and, and start to see whether these guys are guys that you know, are even going to matter in year three. Are they going to be good enough for a bowl team? You know, is, is this wide receiver who's out there starting for you is he only good enough for Kansas right now at, you know, 0 and 7, or is he a guy that you could maybe be, you know, build your program around it and could be a key piece? And so I, I think those are a lot of the things that uh, that I personally look at when I look at Kansas. Well, let's shift gears. Um, and I know your probably your favorite sport is, is basketball, and, and man, it's getting ready to get real exciting, and, and obviously. Big 12 basketball has been been as good as any conference, um, you know, the last few years, and it looks to be pretty, uh, you know, a lot of depth and a lot of good teams. You know, I think Oklahoma's good. Iowa State's going to be good. Kansas is good. I'm hoping my Longhorns are going to, you know, be improved under Shaka Smart. Um, what's your outlook on the Big 12? I think the Big 12 is as deep as it's ever been, and I know that seems like something we say every single year, but – 
Yeah, I'm not sure that it ceased to be true yet. <laughs> and, and this year especially, I, I think you look at Kansas, Iowa State, and Oklahoma are all teams that if they aren't in the top ten, they're all teams that are considered top ten-ish type teams. And then you look at Texas, and Texas is a program that John Rothstein uh, went out and saw practice you know, a, a couple days ago and, and said that he felt like Texas was – was potentially a top 25 team. And I would have to agree with that based on the experience, what you're bringing back. And then people forget about the recruiting class that Texas brings in with Kerwin Roach and Eric Davis and, and Tevin Mack and all of those guys. When you, when you add it all together, I, I think Texas has a great chance to be a top 25 team, but then you even start going down through the league further I think Baylor could be a top 25 team yet again. They return a lot of key pieces. The question there is, can they find somebody to fill in at point guard? And then West Virginia, yes, they lost, you know, some key guys from last year's team, but some of those guys were sitting out late in the year anyway. And so they kind of got used to life without them and got to see their, their young guards play even, even without Slayton and those guys there. So I, I think, when you look across the Big 12, there's a chance that six or seven teams, probably six, but could be top 25 caliber teams, and that's legitimate, and I think that that's something that could make the league one of the toughest conferences to play in this year. See, I, see, uh, I know, Matt, when you, uh, the co-host there, when you mentioned something about Baylor, I, I'm sure he kind of moved over in his chair a little bit. I have to apologize, Matt. I didn't, um, Kevin, Kevin didn't get the uh, – Kevin didn't get the memo. See, here on, here on the Orange Report, Kevin, we, uh, we, we, I mean, we've even talked good about Bob Stoops, um, just about, I mean, Nick Saban. Everybody gets their due. The only person that the Orange Report, Orange Report has a serious disdain for that we don't give them any props, and that's our friend Scott Drew. We can't stand that dude, for real. Well, to be fair, I did not call him out by name. So, I mean, I, I just go. talked yeah. about what was on the roster. <laughs> yeah, Brad. Yeah, that, you know, I, actually, there's not many coaches or human beings I just really don't care for. But I, I am not a Scott Drew fan for some reason. You know, I, I could we could do a whole two hour show on 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 Scott Drew. Well, what do you think Kansas is going to? Uh, y'all you, you think y'all are Final Four potential this year in basketball? I, I think a lot of it depends on what winds up happening with Sheck Diallo's uh, eligibility. Uh-huh. You know, if Sheck Diallo is cleared. And nobody really knows at this point whether he will be. If he's cleared, he gives Kansas exactly what they were missing last year, and that's an energy guy who can rebound and block shots next to Perry Ellis in that starting lineup. And I think that's that's really the one thing that they were missing was sort of that energy and that toughness in that spot. Now, they're going to get some of that probably from Hunter Mickelson, who really woke up when Kansas played over the summer at the World University Games. And it was he was a guy who didn't really do a whole lot last year, was kind of buried on the bench, and then used that opportunity to to really show out and play well. And so I do think they're going to get some of that from him. But really their ceiling depends on whether or not Diallo qualifies because I think if Diallo is there in that starting lineup, then they have all the pieces you look for. I mean, they're a highly experienced team, bring back a lot of guys, and they would have, some high-end NBA talent on that roster as well. And so, yeah, I do think if Diallo is there, I think you look at Kansas as probably a top three type team. 
If he's not, you know, you probably still look at them as a top 10 type team, but probably on the lower side of the top 10, say 8, 9, 10-ish. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, uh, you know, it's looking like in the polls that, you know, North Carolina is, you know, going to be the, uh, you know, the favorite to open up at, at number one. And so, um, you know, come late December, we're going to have a good idea where we are because um, they're coming to Austin, and obviously you don't want to, you know, put put your whole season on, on one game. But it's definitely going to give give us an idea of, of, of where we are and where we need to get. And, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm for one – uh, we'll say this about Shaka Smart. I mean, I, you know, other than what I saw when he was at VCU, he's definitely brought energy, he's brought excitement. And, and honestly, I've never seen so much basketball coverage. And I think a lot of it, now, I don't, I, and I know it's skewed a little bit because the football team, you know, people have lost interest quicker, uh, you know, and there was not as much interest even in the off season. But he, I've never seen as much interest since he's been hired in the basketball program uh, than I – than I've ever seen, even, you know, even going back, you know, years ago. Um, so if nothing else, he's brought a renewed, I guess, confidence or, or interest in the program. Well, and I, I've been so impressed with him, and I actually covered him um, the year that they went to the Final Four. They, uh, I, I was working for Fox Sports at the time, and, you know, the re- that uh, regional was actually right down there in, in San Antonio. And so – uh-huh. Each everybody was assigned a team, and I was actually assigned VCU. And so for for four days there, I I got to kind of tail the team around, watch them practice, you know, be in the locker room, and and talk to Shaka Smart. And I was so impressed with them then. And and then at Big Twelve Media Days here up in Kansas City, you know, last week I, I had a chance to sit down and talk with them for probably ten or twenty minutes, and just so impressed with him again. He just he doesn't he just seems to get it and, and there there are so many different ways that i can say that in in one way he seems to really get how what you do on the court reflects what you do off the court and vice versa is he put it you know talking about accountability is one of their core values and he said you will rarely find somebody who is accountable in one area of their life and not accountable in another and so, you know, just just sort of that whole preaching that philosophy from, you know, inside basketball to out and vice versa, I thought was really strong. And the other thing that that really, you know, I don't want to say surprised me, but really made a lot of sense was everybody is so focused on is Texas going to run havoc? You know, how are they going to run havoc with Shaquille Clear and Cam Ridley? And, you know, how are they going to do all these different things? And he flat said to me, he said, you know, we're going to press sometimes, but that's not necessarily going to be what we do. And he, he said the reason why is the very first thing you have to look at is your personnel and what they can do and what their strengths are. Uh-huh. And so he's not going he's not going to play a five-out offense like he did at times at VCU when they went to the Final Four with Cam Ridley standing around the three-point line just because that's his system. What he's going to do is he's going to throw the ball inside more this year than he has at VCU because he has the pieces to do so. And so I was really impressed with him talking about the way that you can have your system and your system's great and you can recruit to your system and have sort of this idea in your mind of what you would like everything to be. But at the end of the day, you have to coach the players that are on your roster and you have to ask them to do things that they can do 
and, and I think that's a way to build up confidence in a lot of these guys that have maybe been beaten down in the confidence area over the last few years as well. Well, before we let you go, one quick uh, uh, recruiting question. You know, Jared Allen, the, the big five-star guy, the Texas recruiting, Kentucky, I mean, everybody wants him. Um, how do you see his recruiting playing out? And I know it's it's an educated guess. You never know what a kid's going to do. But uh, what are your thoughts on Jared? You know, it's funny you ask because I, I've said to a lot of people, the people who claim to know a lot about Jared Allen's recruitment are, are the liars <laughs> because I don't think anybody <laughs> really has I don't think yeah. anybody really has an accurate feel for, for what he's going to do. And, you know, he here's a kid that visited Texas in September and yet told a recruiting reporter from another network, you know, that he hadn't been to Texas before, <laughs> you know, yeah. after he had visited Texas. I mean, he just he keeps everybody on their feet. I think that there are maybe some people around Jared Allen that, you know, have different ideas on on what he should do but in the end this is this is not one that I think you're going to have 60 people crystal ball on and have everybody be correct I think Texas is in there I think you know Texas has a shot just as just as some other teams do but at the same time you know anybody who says that you know oh man I just have this great feeling that he's going to end up at x I don't think it is giving you the uh, the full story there yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, one one more quick thing. Every every week, me and uh, Matt, ever since the, uh, about the second week of the football season, we played our little our, our whoever we want or think should be in the top four. Obviously, the first um, real rankings came out last night, which mean absolutely nothing because this time last year, people forget with one loss, Ohio State was uh, number sixteen in the initial um, college football um, playoff ranking. So, but I mean, you know. Who would be your top four right now? Are they different than what we saw last night, or is it the same? It would be just about the same. You know, it, I I think that the two no-doubters to just about everybody are LSU and Clemson at this point. And, uh-huh. and to me, I'm, I'll, I'll admit I'm somewhat of a traditionalist, and so I think Ohio State should be in there just because I don't like yep. taking the crown away from a defending champion until they lose. And yep. so – with, with Ohio State, I, I would put Ohio State in that mix as well until Ohio State loses. It, but instead of Alabama, you know, my my other team in there would be Baylor. And one of the things that the committee had talked about several times last year, and they didn't mention it this week, was eye test. You know, yes, uh-huh. they're supposed to be looking at resumes and deserving teams, but at the end – they're not supposed to pick the four most deserving teams. They're supposed to pick the four best teams. And based on the eye test and what I've seen watching college football week in and week out, and I've seen, you know, each of the top teams play multiple games, Baylor to me is the best team in the country right now. I I really feel that they are. I don't know whether they will be in December, but if we were playing the playoffs today, I would think that Baylor would be my fourth team. Yeah. And, and, you know, me and Matt both said the same thing, you know, um, last week. More Matt, he said that, you know, just on the eyeball test, I mean, you know, they're they're just destroying people, and, you know, it is what it is. So, well, Kevin, man, we sure appreciate it. Great insight, good stuff as always. Definitely tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter or anywhere else. Sure, you guys can uh, can find me at uh, 
kflaherty247 on uh, Twitter, and you can read my stuff throughout the uh, 24-7 Sports Network. Yeah, I see your postings over there on uh, on Bobby's site, and I've seen some of your other stuff on different sites. So, um, um, so yeah, I always check it out when I when I go to the main page and, and you know and, and see the searches and, and find people I want to write. I, I like yours, and you know, there's a few others. Um, Bartos pretty good over there. So um, yeah, I like the whole 247 network. Um, y'all do a great job. Well, Kevin, man, we really appreciate it, man. Have a great night. Thanks a lot. You too. All right. All right, Kevin Flaherty from the 247 Network. Uh, as usual, uh, we got lucky and, and nailed another great guest, Matt. <laughs> Kevin always brings uh, great insight. And uh, I really like about our top flight guests like Kevin is, you know, um, he'll always bring some perspective that I haven't thought about before or uh, explain something in a way that makes me look at things a little bit differently. So, And he can cover football and basketball, so we can keep him coming year-round. Yeah. Well, we kind of we ran over a little bit. Uh, I let it go over because, um, you know, let's say it was, was good stuff. So we'll finish up our my, my point about uh, Louisville, and then we'll move into our picks and top four, and we should be done here right around nine or a little after. So, you know, I mean, if you, if you go back and, and, and look at those Louisville teams, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of talent he recruited there. He, you know, he coached them up. You know, a lot of them got drafted in the NFL. Um, but if you go back and look, even teams they should have hung 45 and 50 on, um, they would win 31-17, 24-10. Uh, you know, I, I just don't know if it's in, it, in, it, in his DNA. I mean, he had a, he had a top, you know, a first-round draft quick quarterback. I mean, you know, it's an NFL-quality quarterback. Um and obviously we don't have that on the roster. So my point is, is everybody said, well, it's the quarterback. Yeah, Hurd's got some deficiencies. There, there's, there's no doubt about that. But I mean, I'm just not convinced. Even if we had Seth Russell from from Baylor or or, or Goff from Notre, you know, from you know from Cal or you know any of these other top flight, you know, if we had Boykin, I'm not so sure that that you would see us throwing the ball. I mean, I just don't know if it's in his DNA. I hope I'm wrong. I will gladly be wrong. I, I, you know, I hope we hire it and he turns it over and he focuses on defense, but the offense, and, and hopefully he can get this ship turned around. If not, um, we, we know where it's going to go. So that's really all I have else on that. I'm just really concerned about that. So I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that. No, I mean, you know, the devil's advocate response to that would be, you know, we still haven't seen uh, a true, you know, Baylor, Oregon, TCU type of offense win a national title. Uh, now, that said, those teams are winning a hell of a lot of games and they're recruiting and it's building. So I don't think you can dismiss <laughs> that style of play just because they haven't won a title yet because more teams are going to it and you know these teams like Baylor are just amassing ridiculous amounts of talent where I think it's coming soon if it doesn't happen this year. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I think the main thing, just again, going back to what we said before is he had guys from all different backgrounds on this offensive staff. Um, so we don't mm-hmm. have an identity. You know, we had we started to build an identity as a power running team, but that ain't going to fly in 2015. You have to be able to throw the ball when you're dared to. Um, you just cannot, I mean, unless you play in the Ivy League or something like that, you can't just uh, run the ball, you know, 70 times a game and win it. You're going to win some of them. Uh, but it's just not consistent. So, 
my thing, what I'm looking for is, regardless of what the what the style is, is uh, align the staff to where they're all in from the same background or similar backgrounds, or that where the pieces are cohesive. Um, because that's what I, you know, you see that in the NFL sometimes when you see head coaches get hired and they don't get to bring their staff in, and so they've got just this mishmash of different guys. And uh, you know, you can focus on how well your guys are going to work together in the office, um, but they got to work together on the blackboard as well, um, or else it's just that. And that's what I feel like when I watch this team is we say, and it goes back to a little bit about you know, it, it's the same stuff we heard towards the end of the Mac Brown regime. Well, we're going to be a hurry up team. Well, we don't really hurry it up, though. We're not nearly as fast as the other team. Well, now we're going to be this. Now we're going to be this. And it's like you can keep jumping from lily pad to lily pad and say that you're something, but uh, the teams that are really dominant on offense, I mean, you know exactly what they are. You know what they are. They have perfected it. And you know what's coming, and you still can't stop it. Uh, And I think when you have that, you know, Baylor, we talk about Baylor throwing the ball and Seth Russell and all of that, and everyone's worried about their – new quarterback, but, I mean, they will run the ball right up your you-know-what if you sell yeah. out against the pass. <laughs> they will run the ball for 300 yards without blinking an eye. So they know what they are, and they know how to execute. I still think that we're trying to figure out what we are, so how can you expect our guys to execute when they're still basically in offense 101? Yeah, I'm not saying we need to be a full, you know, air raid like, what Washington State's doing or, you know, or even Oregon or, or anything like that. But, um, you know, I, I would be perfectly happy with, with, you know, something like what Ohio State, you know, does. Mm-hmm. You know, power, power running out of the spread, but, but able to throw the ball all over the field, you know, in certain situations. Or uh, what uh, Auburn's looks like, you know, Auburn's not Auburn this year, you know, because obviously they're struggling at quarterback, you know, got a, you know, a freshman they're trying to break in. But when they had Cam, you know, Cam Newton, you know, they were a power running game, ran the, you know, zone read, and he was able to throw the ball. So I'm okay with, yep. you know, a run first offense. Um, but, again, I think you nail it. We really don't know who we are yet on offense. So we need to go with, uh, you know, hire an offensive coordinator, define what we are, and everybody get on the same page and let that guy run it. Right now we've got, yeah. you know, this guy saying this. You're right. We have no identity on offense. So uh, And, and going said, back we, to – Going back real quick to what Kevin said, I just want to, uh, re, you know, yeah. basically restate that, and I think it was a great point he made. I always laugh whenever a new coach is hired because, you know, they always talk about one of the things they're going to bring is an attacking defense, you know, as opposed to what? A defense that sits back on their heels and lets teams drive down the field on them? I mean, nobody nobody has a passive defense. Everybody wants an attacking defense. At the same time, though, on offense, there are a lot of offenses out there. It's all the bad ones that don't attack. They don't attack the other team's weakness. They don't attack the formations on the field. Uh, and I think that's where we are right now. I definitely do not look at us as an attacking defense. We're, we know what we want to do, but if you take it away from us, we put our hands in our pockets and we walk back to the sideline. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's do our top four real quick. Then we'll do a few picks and get out of here for another Wednesday. Um, mine, mine is, um, Pretty much the same as last week. There, you know, not much difference in the in the way it played out. But yeah, I agree with Kevin. Ohio State's gonna gonna stay in there uh, in, until somebody beats them. Um, obviously, they've got a little bit of a quarterback issue now that they're um, they're starting quarterback. They finally settled instead of the the back and forth game. Um, apparently, he likes cold beer a little more um, as much as I do. But you know, no, I Uber <laughs> I Uber around. He chose to drive, so we'll see where that lands him. <laughs> 
Um, but so they're back to Cardell, you know, Cardell Jones, which is not a bad option. Um, so I've got Ohio State still in my top four. Um, yeah, I've got to go with Clemson. Uh, you know, this team looks to be a little different than the normal Clemson teams. We'll see if the old Clemson shows back up. Uh, but they're on, they're they're 8-0 and, and destroying people. Um, I've got LSU in there, too. They're just not out, you know, not dominating really, but they just keep winning. Uh, we're going to know a whole lot more about LSU here um, in a few days. So we're, we'll, we'll have a good idea if they're, if they're for real or not. If they go into Tuscaloosa and win, um, they're probably headed um, straight to the um, playoffs. Uh, I, I, had, I think I had TCU in last week. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna shift them with another Big 12 team. I, I, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Baylor this week. Uh, and I thought about it after I did it last week, and I had to agree with 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 Matt. Is I, I punished them really um, for for the quarterback deal. So I'm gonna leave them in until they lose um, because I, I they do pass the eyeball test to me. I know I know we all like you know us that you know. In Texas, um, the Baylor jokes of you know Baylor being Baylor. This is this is not a, a, a this is not the Baylor of the 80s or 90s. I mean they've they've got a talented front um, offensive line. They've got talent at every position. Their defense is not great, but it's good enough now where they can get they get stops on people. You just don't run up and down the field on them. So um, Baylor's back in my top four. So Ohio State, Baylor, Clemson, LSU um, is my top four. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I mean, right now, just looking at where everything is, I think that we're probably on the same page there. And it's interesting, you know, as we talked about last week, um, you know, the playoffs are starting this weekend. Um, you know, yeah. a win doesn't necessarily mean you're in, but a loss sure is going to hurt you. And so you start looking at the, uh, the the slashes on here where you put, you know, Baylor slash TCU until, you know, further notice, unless one of the Oklahoma teams can uh, step up and, and run this little gauntlet in November. Uh, LSU slash Alabama, and you know the thing yep. that go I go back to though, which is really I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's just a circular argument you get into when you start analyzing these teams based on single games. Because I've watched Alabama all year, and they've never really impressed me. This is not an Alabama top five team, uh, in my opinion. But here we are. It's LSU Alabama Saturday night, and it's a top five matchup. And I. I really want to, unfortunately, you know, it's at the same time as our game, uh, but I'll need to record it and watch it because I'm looking for high-quality football in that game. If they play a high-quality football game and one team wins, then I think you can definitely justify uh, that both of them are deserving and the winner gets the, the temporary place in the top four. If it's a crappy football game uh, with some shaky quarterback play uh, and, you know, not spectacular plays on defense, but just two offenses that are struggling once you take away their run. I mean, you know, there's always the theory that maybe neither of these teams are top five. And so who cares who wins because neither of them belong in the playoffs. And I think that's what kind of Alabama got a little bit of last year is they got credit and then they got into the big, uh, the big dance and Ohio state just wiped the floor with them. So uh, I'll be interested in that, but I think, I think we're pretty much right on, on our top four. But I just remind everybody, there's a long way to go, man. And and the TCU's of the world who are sweating being number eight, hey, you got three big games ahead of you in November. So win all three, and nobody's going to be uh, even debating whether you belong this year. Like I said earlier, Ohio State in the first um, rankings, college football playoff rankings were number 16 last year. 
with one mm-hmm. loss, and that one loss was to a bad Virginia Tech team. So you can recover because mm-hmm. uh, yep. I mean it's all gonna, it's all going to shake out for sure. Well, let's get into some picks. The first one I want to look at is Texas Tech at West Virginia. Man, Virginia, West Virginia is, 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 is just has not won a Big 12 game. Texas Tech looks great one week and then horrible the next. Um, West Virginia is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Man, I don't know what to think. They are playing at West Virginia. Um, but I'm going to go with Tech. I think West Virginia woes uh, are going to continue. I'm going to go with Texas Tech in a high-scoring affair. I'm going to go 44-41 Texas Tech. Yeah, this is definitely a game uh, you need your head examined if you actually gamble on it. Uh, yeah. Because Texas Tech, you never know what you're going to get. And West Virginia, I think I tweeted this during the TCU game, they they are really maddening to watch because yeah. I, there are times where I look at them and go, man, this team has a little something here. And then they just will make three or four plays in a row that are mistakes, blown coverage, pass interference, you know, whatever else. Uh, so I, I think West Virginia wins because they're at home, but... I also see it being high scoring and closer than the the gamblers think. I'm going to say 40 to 37 West Virginia. Um, Iowa State at Oklahoma, the Big 12 game, 25 point spread. Iowa State, they're not going to shut Oklahoma out, especially not in Norman. <laughs> um, this is going to be ugly. It's going to get back to normal. Um, you know, Oklahoma. Is, has recovered from our loss. They they are looking at their schedule now. Now saying, hey, we went out. We might be in the top four. So they know the playoffs have started for them. They and not only do they know that they can't win thirty five, thirty one. Um, they're going to try to score every possession. They're going to score almost every possession. This is going to be a blowout. Oklahoma fifty five, Iowa State ten. I'm right there with you. I've got forty five to ten. OU. It'll never be close. Yeah. Texas Christian, Oklahoma State. Um, this is where the playoffs have really started. Mm-hmm. Both teams eight and zero. TCU's five point favorite playing at Oklahoma State. Man, we know crazy things can happen there. It is a night game. Um, man, we we know about night games in Stillwater. Uh, I I'm this one. This one has been tough. I, this has been I've gone back and forth for three days. Uh, I am not sold on Oklahoma State's um, quarterback. I mean, I'm going to go back. Yeah, we should have beat them. We didn't. We exposed some things. Um, I don't know who. If they're going to go with Walsh or they're going to go with the other guy, they're they're uncertain there. Um, They they should have lost at Tech last week. Tech just got away. Next thing you know, Oklahoma State damn near scored half a hundred, you know, scored a hundred on them. So, I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this. I think TCU is going to go in there and win. Whew, man. I like Boykin a lot, man. Those, I mean, Boykin has really impressed me. I'm going to go 38-28 TCU. That's what I'm going to go. I think you you uh, you said everything I was going to say. I think you know we we forced some mistakes uh, on Oklahoma State's quarterback, and I think even with TCU's defensive injuries and inexperience, Patterson I think can draw something up for him. I'm I'm going to be also interested. Uh, I really was impressed with Oklahoma State's defense contained Gerard Hurd in the second half of that game in Austin. Yeah, uh, they got to do something similar to Boykin because if they take away the throws, you know, we've seen what he can do with his legs. Uh, but I just, yeah, just looking at this, it feels like a TCU win. I'm going to say 45-38, and I believe Mike 
I hope that that game is actually at 2.30 because I had that circled as uh, hiding the remote control at the tailgate and putting it on 100% tech, uh, TCU Oklahoma State because I think that should be a heck of a game to watch. Well, they got it on. They got it on Vegas Insider. It is um, seven Eastern. It's on ESPNU. Uh, time changed to seven for some reason. It says time changed. All right. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be six o'clock our time. Yeah, you, I, you were all right. It was, but it says time changed. So I don't know what what happened there. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a six. It's going to be kicking off about the time ours is. So yeah, that, that that'll be one. I'll probably DVR. Yeah. Um, another one, Florida State, Clemson. Um, you know, uh, you know, is Florida State completely out of it? Most likely, but if they win this, you never know. Clemson's a twelve-point favorite. You know, um, this has been a game for several years that that you know, there's been a lot of hype going into it, and Florida State has pretty much wiped um, Clemson's clock and sent them, you know, with their tails between their legs out of the stadium. That doesn't happen this year. I'm going Clemson big payback. I'm going Clemson, 45, Florida State, 31. Uh, even if Clemson's a 12-point favorite, can you imagine how nervous Clemson fans are going to be at kickoff of this game? <laughs> oh, this is where it always falls apart against these guys. Uh, I think that Clemson's going to find a way, but they're going to get a good scare. I'm going to say 30-27 to 27, Clemson. LSU-Bama at Tuscaloosa. Another basically a playoff game. Um, I'm going to say Alabama 24. No, no, let me, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go with my initial instinct. I'm going to go, the Hatter's going to pull something silly and win this thing. I'm going to go Hatter 24, Alabama 20. Uh, I'll put a big fat asterisk next to my prediction and say LSU cannot cannot give up a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown. Uh, it's one of those games, I think, where somebody's going to get a cheap seven, um, and that'll be it, especially if Alabama is the one that gets it. Uh, I just still don't have faith in Alabama's quarterback play. Yeah. Uh, this will be old school. It's going to be Derrick Henry and Fournette running, and I think my money right now is on Fournette. Uh, TBD till we see this game, but this is what it's all about because this is what LSU's been waiting to do to prove they're for real. This is how Alabama gets right back in the national title hunt. I mean, they're in, they're at number four now, but they're square in the thing if they win this game. Um, I'm going to say LSU pulls it out 17 to 13. All right, and on to the, the game of the week, um, the, probably the most exciting game, 0-8 Kansas, 3-5 and Texas. The entire country will be on the edge of their seats watching um, the Longhorn Network. Um, I am going to say the Longhorns are going to win. Of course we win, because if we don't, um, the Charlie Strong era will be over. Um, there will be no doubt at that point. Um, I think it's still going to be ugly, um, but we are going to win. I'm going to say Texas 34 Kansas seven. Wow, that's crazy. I have literally the exact same prediction, oh. and I made that yesterday, I think. So yeah, I'm right there. Thirty four seven. Defense will control the game. Offense will do some stuff, but they're not going to set the world ablaze. Uh, they'll no. do enough to win, and uh, it'll be a rainy day in Austin. Uh, 
still hope people that are listening, if they're coming out, will come to the tailgate and have a good time. But I can't guarantee we're going to have wonderful football to watch once we get in the stadium. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we only get you know six home games a year, even though it ain't you know things have not gone as planned. I mean, you know, like like Matt said earlier, bowl, bowl hopes are, are, are probably very slim. I'm not going to say to none because mathematically it's still a possibility. So. Um, the Iowa State game definitely did not help those chances, but maybe we get to four and five. Uh, you know, Texas Tech, you know, maybe goes up and, and, and beats West Virginia. West Virginia pretty much packs it in for the year. Maybe we can go up there and steal something, get to five and five. And then if nothing else, you're going into the Thanksgiving game with something to play for, which could be exciting. Uh, but obviously you drop West Virginia. Um, you drop West Virginia, and, or God forbid Kansas. Um, boy, then we're having a different conversation. So, the old, the old cliche, we got to take it one game at a time. We're literally we're taking it one game at a time because I just don't know what to expect with this team. Um, but I, I think we, we – I mean, there is no better time than to get Kansas in the right now. If we were playing Baylor or, or TCU this week, it, it, may be a, it, was, it may be a bloodbath. I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath December 5th anyway, but um, it would – you know, uh, Kansas is definitely coming at the right time. Well, I, I do want to thank all our listeners um, – I want to give a shout-out to a buddy of mine uh, for my Houston listeners. Um, if you're ever on the north side of town or, or, or anywhere and you're looking for a great pizza place, go by and check out Brothers Pizza. They're on the Internet. Um, I went to high school with the guy. Uh, man, some of the best pizza you have ever eaten. Tell him Mike sent you over there. I'm sure he'll hook you up with um, a, a pretty darn good discount. Um, so definitely go check out Brothers Pizza. He definitely takes care of me and the Orange Report every time I – I go in there. So um, definitely check out Brothers Pizza over there on 43rd Street and North Shepherd. Um, also, I want to give a shout-out to um, people who have tweeted at me, given us props about the tailgate or giving me props. I want to be real clear. Uh, Matt and several guys started the tailgate several years before I came on board. I'm just I'm just coattailing off of, of what they've done. Uh Yes, I agree. It's the best. It's the greatest tailgate out there, and I'm honored to be part of it. But um, it takes it takes a team effort to set up, tear down, and do it. And, and Matt, Josh, Jacob, Edgar, you know, um, every, everybody, um, Frank, you know, there, there's the list. I could do a list of two hours long of the people who who um, help with the tailgate. So I appreciate you tweeting me and saying. You know, we have the greatest tailgater. You know, thanks for letting us come, but it's much bigger than me, so I want to give everybody props that the UT Tailgaters crew uh, are are not only my my family on on tailgate day, they are my friends year-round now, so I'm just honored to be part of that. So with that said, Matt, tell the listeners where they can find you, and I will see everybody Saturday. Sure thing, and just to echo that, uh, Mike is the social chair of UT Tailgaters. You should certainly take a lot of credit for uh, some of the folks that, that have gotten to know the tailgate over the last few years. So, yeah, I agree with what you said, though. It's a uh, it's a team effort, and a big part of the team are even the folks that just show up and come have a good time yep. because without them, it would just be us sitting around. And I don't know, you're great and everything, but, you know, it's nice to have a few more extra people show up as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh yeah, you can find me on Twitter though at UT Tailgaters, just UT Tailgaters, no spaces or hyphens or anything like that. And uh, I'm sure we'll be sending out pictures of the tailgate uh 
as long as it's not pouring cats and dogs outside. And then we'll talk uh, Texas-Kansas over the weekend and beyond. Yeah, definitely give Matt a follow over there at, the, at, at UT Tailgaters. He's, he's slowly catching up to getting up to seventeen hundred. So we need to we need to get him we need to push him over the top there, guys. So uh, jump on there. Um, we didn't have time to talk about Texans, Cowboys, Rockets. Um, uh, I, you know, I, um, I'm pretty sure I said forty seven wins for the Rockets. Didn't I? I need to go back and re-listen that, but. <laughs> Uh, no, I did say 57. They're going to have to really turn it on. Uh, they did beat the Thunder the other night. But, um, the, you know, I, I think NFL football season's over for me and you at this point. I don't know if the Cowboys or the Texans can recover. But I guess the only saving grace is we're both in such terrible NFL divisions. I mean, we're tied for first place at 3-5. and five, And um, the, the, the Colts are probably going to lose this week. So we're going to have a bye week and probably be in first place at 3-5. and five. I mean, what the hell's going on in the NFL? I don't know. <laughs> The, <laughs> the NFL is a terrible product right now, by the way. Uh, I, these games are god-awful. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do to fix it, but uh, there's a lot of these games that are just flat-awful. They are. They are. I mean, I used to – I mean, I, I, and I, it's, and it's, I hate to even admit this, but, I mean, I, I've, I've been the type of person on Sundays. I could sit and watch two or three games all the way through. Uh, I, I'm flipping over and turning some of them off. They're just – they are. The, the product is, is not good. I mean, and, and, and we've gone back to where uh, there's not a lot of parity. We've got one or two. I mean, New England, the the, the Patriots and, the you know, the and a couple other teams are, are on just a different level. So, I know we're out of time. We're way over. We'll, we'll talk about the NFL some next week. I'll mix that in. Uh, but y'all can find me on Twitter at MBHornsFan. Thanks for listening. And since the uh, – the the pop music CMAs are on the night. Some of y'all youngsters that like all this crap, y'all don't know what real country is. <laughs> I'm gonna put, I, we're gonna take the show out tonight with some real country. Uh, after you hear this guy sing, it, this is what real country's like. The late great Keith Whitley. See y'all next week. Hook 'em.
Close your 